we see just great aspects of every great epic grand story throughout history. It all comes from Scripture, right? Every storyline has sort of those, those same principles that everything start, seems to start out well and like everything's good and perfect and we, and then something happens to kind of taint what was so good and then the whole rest of the story is sort of this battle and this war of trying to get back to that state of perfection, getting back to the way it was. And we see that in Scripture in the opening pages with the Garden of Eden and God created everything. He said it was good. He created Adam and Eve and they were together and they had this perfect relationship in the garden. But then sin enters the story, doesn't it? And there's that protagonist, there's the enemy, the one who comes in and thwarts, tries to thwart the plan, but God promises right from the beginning, right from the outset, that He will restore and make all things new in the end. And so we read the pages of Scripture, especially the Old Testament, and we see that struggle between God and His people and God and His creation back and forth, trying to get back to that reconnected relationship. And then enters Jesus Christ. And the Gospels show us His life and teaching and how He is the one that connects us back to our Creator. But then God also blesses us with how the story ends. And so we as the church get to play a big part in that story. Because as we await the return of our Messiah as uh, our Savior Jesus, we are called to do just what Sky and Michelle are doing. What we are all supposed to do. Right where God plants us. In the season of life He has us in. And it is represent Him. To live out the Gospel. To share it. We get to play a part in that bigger story. And that was one of our themes this week at, at, um, at camp. And it's so great because even as we open the book of Mark and we started our study uh, in the Gospel, we get to see Jesus Christ come on the scene teaching, performing miracles, casting out demons, healing people, working with the the Pharisees, the Sadducees, trying to call them out on what it is that they were doing wrong and how they were leading people astray. And that's where we pick up today in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Again, Jesus is battling this legalism that comes through so clearly with the religious leaders of the day. We talked all about it last week, and Jesus was... Remember, it was on the Sabbath. He was allowing His disciples to work by picking grain. The religious leaders were calling Him out today. He is in the synagogue, but it's still on the Sabbath. And what happens? Jesus heals a man with a withered hand. So again, the religious leaders are trying to trap Him. Trying to find a way to do away with Him. But you know, what happens is, We see that these religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, they have fallen so far into legalism that they've created all these laws and added on all of these laws to God's law, created traditions that God never even intended to the point where they even can't even celebrate and rest on the Sabbath because it's all about the work. We remember last time we talked about Jesus setting us free from that. And we sort of see that here again today. You know, down at Harvey Cedars this past week, um, I was given a lot of grace. I was kind of reminded about this passage we were preparing for today that there are rules and there are standards that we have. I mean, can you imagine having like three to four hundred, you know, teenagers around for the week and not having any rules? 
No, of course, right? We need to all have some set of rules or else it's chaos. We like to call it controlled chaos, but without those rules and standards, it's just chaos, right? But there has to be a set of standards and rules that we all follow and respect so there can be some order. And so, most importantly, we can do what needs to be done. But what Jesus taught us last week, and we see even more here, is that from God's heart, mercy reigns over any tradition or rule or standard. Because that's the heart behind the law. See, the Pharisees had lost the spirit of the law. And it's all, it was all about the actual rules. And Jesus is calling them out saying, you have forgotten and missed out becoming so callous and so focused on the rules. You've missed that God is compassionate. And He's merciful. Remember he shared that story of how David and his men went into uh, the place to get all of the grain that they ate, the showbread it's called, that was set aside just for the priests. And that's what the law and the tradition had said, but God didn't condemn David for doing that because they were in need. There was a need. See, there's rules that we had last week. And one of the rules is that we all wait outside until they ring the dinner bell. Yes, there is a bell and they ring it for dinner. And then we all line upside and we all go in. But we're not supposed to go in ahead of time and it makes a big difference. So the servers can get everything ready and so um, students aren't kind of trampling each other to get in. There's got to be some order. But see, the camp and the leaders were very gracious to me to allow me to get in a little early because I still had my crutches and my boot and I was able to go in and find my seat And because you know it was really difficult the first day going in, being last and trying to weave my way through about 400 other people all packed into the dining hall on my crutches. Excuse me, excuse me, you know, when everybody's screaming. and So they were very gracious. But it kind of reminded me in a small way, say, yes, there are rules and they are important. There are traditions that we have. There are laws. But you know what? Behind all that, when it comes to God's law and His ways and His commands, there is a heart of compassion and love and mercy. Because that is the God who we serve. Too many of us, too many of us in our past and too many of the people that we know, even in churches, still look at God in such a legalistic way. They look at Him as just a, a taskmaster, one who sets out rules, do this, don't do that. That is not God at all. He set forth the law for the people of Israel. Yes, so there wouldn't be complete chaos. So they would be protected. Even the dietary law, so they'd be protected from disease. All those things were good. But underneath it all, above it all, through it all, was God's heart for His people. And that's what we see today. For they enter into the synagogue, and there is a man with a withered hand. We don't know exactly what happened and I think one of the, the Gospels says it was his right hand. But it was withered. He couldn't use it. It was deformed in some way. It wasn't life-threatening. But what's interesting is at the time, the tradition that the Pharisees had set aside was, okay, you can't work on the Sabbath. You can't heal on the Sabbath. You can't cook on the Sabbath. You can't do anything but if it's a life or death situation, okay, we can heal. Like, you can go to the physician, you can get healed. Someone's like, all right, thank you, right? If it's life or death. So, of course, this man in the synagogue having a withered hand was not a life or death situation. So, it's in a way they actually set Jesus up because he comes into the synagogue and there is a man with a withered hand. So, I'm going to read it now. It'll be up on the screen for you. But this is the story. It's Mark 3, just the first 12 verses. 
And here's what happens. And then there's sort of some fallout after that when Jesus needs to kind of get away, protect himself and the message that he's getting across. But look at what happens specifically in the first six verses. It says, again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus. See, that's the religious leaders. They're, again, they're there. They're always there. And here they are watching him. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And then Jesus said to them, so is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out. And his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately they held a council with the Herodians against Jesus and how to destroy him. So Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed. There's that crowd always again with him. From Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Adumea and from beyond the Jordan from around Tyre and Sidon. And when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of this great crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases, they pressed in around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and they cried out, You are the Son of God. But he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So here is Jesus still going out around the Sea of Galilee, And he is healing. He is healing. He's casting out demons. The crowds continue to press in around him. But he tells the people he heals, even the demons that he casts out, don't make it known yet. Jesus had a plan and a purpose. But let's just focus on the first part of this passage today. I want to just go through it just briefly, but I want to point out some things that that I believe God really has for us this morning that's so important for us to glean from this. Because we know that the truth of Scripture was true for them to, for them back in the day when it was written and heard, but also for us today. So a very simple story. Jesus goes into the synagogue. There is a man with a withered hand. We notice that the Pharisees are sitting and watching. Just remember that. More on that in a minute. They're sitting and watching. And Jesus says to the man, come here. Before everybody, he doesn't just go quietly over and do it. He calls him up. And the man is there and he has his hand withered. He first asks the religious leaders. He knows they're there. Again, calls him out. So is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, save a life or kill? It seems like an obvious, a question with an obvious answer. But they said nothing. Jesus looked at them with anger. With anger, it says. But also grieved at the hardness of their heart. But he simply says to the man, stretch out your hand. Can you just picture that? Can you just do that for me now? Just just stretch out your right hand. Just stretch out your hand. That's all he had to do. Okay, he stretched out his hand. Just remember that as we go through this passage. He stretched out his hand. And as soon as he did, it was restored. Notice also, Jesus didn't say anything. There's been other miracles where he said, you are healed. Your sins are forgiven. 
One man that he heals his, his blindness and he, he spits on his hand, mixes it right with the dirt and heals him. Jesus healed in different ways, but here he just said, stretch out your hand. And as he did, it was healed. Even imagine what that looked like for the man that had this withered hand. He stretched it out and it was healed. So a few things I want us to point out. First of all, it was right here during this event. We see that the religious leaders had casted their verdict on Jesus. It says at the end of verse 6, they immediately went out. They gathered with the Herodians. These were actually liberal uh, people who were following King Herod, who the Pharisees didn't even like. But they found like one of their enemies and they're like, we have a common enemy, Jesus. That's how much they hated Jesus. And it says, how can we destroy him? What strong language, right? They didn't want to just arrest him and put him away. They wanted to destroy Jesus. And so then we see that it kind of sets the stage for the rest of what happens. You remember the Gospel of Mark? He's a man of action. He's all about on the way. He's telling this story like getting to the cross. So we see that here. Because like, okay, from this point on, the religious leaders are out to destroy Jesus. Trying to trick Him and trap Him in every way. To the point where they actually just sat there and watched what Jesus did. So a few things we can learn as His disciples. Because remember, the Gospel of Mark is really all about how to be a disciple. Number one, as Jesus' disciples, we are to help others. Jesus asked the man to stretch out His hand. As we stretch out our hands for help and blessing from God, God, would You heal us? Would You restore us? We are also to then stretch our hands out to others. As we learn and grow, as God heals and blesses, we are then to bless others, to pray for their healing. We are then to then introduce people to Jesus. Is this how you introduce yourself to people? Hi, my name is. We do that, right? We shake their hand. Let us do that with others and introduce them to Jesus. Hi, my name is. Do you know my friend Jesus? So as we stretch out our hands for help and blessings from God, we are to stretch out our hands to others. And When they do, we have something that we can put in their hands. That's hope. We can offer hope. When you offer your hand to somebody and greet them and they offer their hand back, be ready to put something in their hand. and Give them hope. We're called to always be ready to give an account of what? The hope that's within us. So let's do that, church. Let's remember that. So as Jesus heals and restores this man to wholeness with His hand, we see Jesus is saying, this is what I'm here to do. To restore people to wholeness. Spiritually speaking, He is here to restore us back to wholeness in relationship with our Creator. What a beautiful picture. He restores this man's hand even as He stretches it out. So let us do the same. As God blesses, let's be a conduit. And not hold on to it, but to then serve and to bless others. We also recognize that Jesus who came to fulfill the law, was teaching something very important to the Pharisees as well. For they had failed to understand 
that the Sabbath day was made for restoration. We talked about it last week. See, they were all about Jesus. You cannot do this on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to do all these things. I think there was 39 or 40 things they had listed out that you could not do on the Sabbath specifically. And he says to them, in essence, you have failed to understand the heart of God. God created the Sabbath. Remember last week that the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath? It was for restoration, for the benefit of the people's souls. Of course Jesus is going to heal this man on the Sabbath because that's in keeping with God's purpose for the Sabbath, for healing and for wholeness. Jesus had a very different picture than the Pharisees did of what that coming kingdom would look like. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That meant, I'm here. Jesus was bringing the kingdom. You remember that even his disciples and and, and the Zionists, right? They were just like, Jesus, is now when you're going to overthrow Rome? Is now when you're going to restore the kingdom? And he says, my kingdom is not of this world. He's saying it's not that kind of kingdom that you're thinking about. We're not going to, to, um, we're not going to change the society around us through war, through the sword. We're going to do it. Through love. God's love. One heart. One withered hand at a time. Second thing, as Jesus' disciples, we are to realize that we are created in His image. So what concerns God should also concern us. What angers Him should anger us. It says Jesus was angry at the Pharisees. He was angry at their legalism. He was angry that they had missed, listen, the heart of God. That should anger us. That should frustrate us. So what breaks the heart of God should break our hearts. So we are called to be aware of and to sometimes address issues in the world. To help people because we are the people of hope. Introducing others to Jesus. If God is about restoration, He heals and restores that man's withered hand, then we should be praying for and be all about restoration as well. Asking God, God, how can You use us to restore people back to a right relationship with You? God, show us. Bring us. Where, we, where should we be? It's the prayer of Sky and Michelle. In a time of transition, God, where do you want us? You know our experiences. You know the talents and gifts you've given us. You know the desires of our heart. But God, use us to help others. Where there's broken people, use us to restore the broken. Where there's people that are without hope and that are lost, help us, God. Show us the way to bring us where we can be people who help to restore hope. We should all pray those prayers. We should have care for the needs of those around us. Remember the story we read a few weeks ago of Jesus healing the paralytic. He had four awesome friends, didn't he? They cared about him. They relentlessly pursued healing and restoration for their friend. Even to the point where they went up on the roof and dug through the roof and lowered him down. They went through all of that for their friend. As Jesus' disciples... We recognize we're created in His image. So if God has a heart for the lost, we should have a heart for the lost. If God has a heart for those who need restoration, 
Maybe it's in relationships. For those brothers and sisters who are already believers, we all still need to be made whole in aspects of our life, don't we? We need to be loved. We need to be cared for. We need people to be long-suffering with us in our bad attitudes and our maybe our fits of anger, whatever it might be. We need people to, to be merciful to us as God is merciful. But also as Jesus' disciples, we need to expect opposition, as Jesus did, but perhaps not just from those who are antagonistic towards God. Perhaps you've even received opposition from brothers and sisters in the Lord. Didn't Jesus even warn us against those from within the body of Christ that may look to cause division? We are to expect opposition from outside and within. But also, let's park on this for just a couple minutes. As Jesus' disciples, we are, and this is so important, to protect our hearts from becoming callous and hardened just like the Pharisees. Let us never become like the Pharisees. Do you know that I'm convinced that is why Jesus spent so much of His time calling out the sins of the religious leaders, the Pharisees. Why? Because they were leading His people astray. The people that He loved. They were the leaders who were being held accountable. And leaders are being held accountable. So as Jesus' disciples, we want to make sure that we do all that we can and asking for the Spirit to help us to protect our hearts from becoming hardened and callous to the Spirit of His Word and not, and not allowing us to slip down that slippery slope leading towards legalism. Not caring for others and just putting the law, the traditions first. At camp this past week at Harvey Cedars, the theme was the me life. Moving away from the me first life and accepting and living the Jesus first life or even the we life but not the me life it was great because everything we did and even the songs we were singing was about putting aside the me first life recognizing that God has turned as believers our hearts of stone to hearts of flesh to making sure we don't become callous and hardened. Now, in this breakout session that I taught at camp, here's what I called it. I tried to give it like a name that might attract the attention of some students and, you know, so they would come to my session and not somebody else's, but that's okay. That's the, it was me first, you know, that's what I was doing. So here's what I called it. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Those words sound familiar? Right? Yeah, you know it. But if you've ever seen Star Wars, any of them, right? Not the side stories, I'm talking about the main franchise, right? You see, you go there, and what happens first? First you just see those words, and it's silent. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then all of a sudden, bam, and the music kicks in, right? And it draws you right in. And then, do you know what happens next? There's that scroll of those words, those iconic scroll. But you know what that is? 
That's the backstory. That's the story of what's been happening to set the scene, to set the stage of what you're about to see. It tells you about the evil empire and the rebel alliance, good versus evil. And in the very first one that was ever made, I think the best one, it was called what? A New Hope. came out in 1977. I was seven years old. My parents took me and my brother to see it. I didn't want to see it. I thought it was about celebrities like stars, you know, Hollywood stars. I'm like, what is this? And I sat there and it said a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And from that first blast of music, I was hooked. Why? Because I was drawn into that story. And then as the story, the scroll, and it, story, it starts to unfold, you meet these characters. But there's this one character in particular named Han Solo. And they just came out with another movie, sort of a side story, showing his backstory, his background. But here's what I find interesting. I was sharing this with the students. If you think about this character in this big story, right, of Han Solo, he was living the perfect me-first life. He had become callous and hardened to everything around him because it was all about him. Remember that when we first meet him in those first movies? He was just like, all right, you pay me and I'll get you to where you need to go. But slowly there was people trying to draw him in, Luke Skywalker and others, saying we could use your help in the fight against evil. Like telling him about the force and what's going on behind the scenes, right? As Christians, we know there's a spiritual battle happening. There's so much you can learn, right, from these kind of movies. And we see it's happening. But little by little, what happens to the character Han Solo? He's drawn in to the fight and to the battle. Why? Because he slowly recognizes, hey, there is more going on in this life around me than just me. Yes, I'm in it for me. I want the money. I'm not worried about, you know, your fight and your battle. But slowly they're drawing him in. It's like what God does with us. He pursues us. He pursues our heart. But Jesus is teaching us a valuable lesson here. We don't want to become callous and hardened like Han Solo. Like the Pharisees, to where it's just about us living the me first life. But that we recognize there's a whole world around us. There are so many people, even just, not even, just halfway around the world, but right here in your home, in your place of business, at the market, wherever it is, they need Jesus. Because they need hope. You might not see it on their faces, but people are lost, and they're hurting, and they're broken. We need to introduce them to Jesus. But as we do, and as we live this life doing that each and every day, representing Him, let us make sure we do not become callous and allow our hearts to get hardened and to just focus on the things that lead us to legalism and so we don't care for others leading the me-first life We need to be aware of the needs around us, not becoming too preoccupied or concerned with ourselves. See, the Pharisees, (laughs) I pointed this out before, in this scene, they're sitting there. There is a man with a withered hand. People came to the synagogue for help, for healing, for hope. And here they are, the religious leaders who are supposed to be the ones leading that And they see, here's a man. And you know what they're thinking? Not, hey, how can we help this guy? But they're thinking, let's see what Jesus does. Let's trap him. So not only 
Are they trying to trap Jesus? They're letting this man just not even be healed. So of course Jesus comes in. He's going to heal the man. Because Jesus is saying this is the heart behind the law. Such attitudes of the Pharisees created a righteous indignation and anger in the heart of Jesus. But it also says that it grieved him. It grieved him. He was angry, but he was grieved. Angry and grieved, the Lord Jesus was, at the religious leaders. So we have to guard our hearts as we seek to worship and serve the Lord. If we're not careful, we can easily become hypocrites. Put our personal agendas first, even before what God is calling us to do. Do you know the priests were there, the religious leaders were there to help people. They were there to bring people to God... But they were doing just the opposite. They were leading them astray. So, But do you know, in the New Testament now, under God's good grace and the blood of Jesus, do you know who the priests are in this story? We are. The priesthood of all believers. That means that as the priests used to serve the people and bring the people before God for healing and restoration, spiritually, most importantly, we are now to play that role. We are now to introduce others to Jesus and bring them before God. Bring, bring them before God in prayer. God, I have this friend and he needs a new heart. He needs healing. We pray for physical healing. God, we need somebody. We need you to heal this person. They have these physical issues that have been plaguing them for their whole lives. There's people in our church that we know that desperately need that. Would we pray for them? And for others, we are made in the image of God. So the things that God loves, that breaks His heart, we should love and should break our hearts lest we become calloused and hardened like the Pharisees. And finally, I think this may be the most obvious thing. Jesus said, reach out your hand, stretch out your hand, and He healed him. We need to ask God for healing. In His time, in His mercy, in His way, He will heal all of us. But you know what? Sometimes it's not on this side of heaven. But we come before God anyway, asking boldly in the name of Jesus through the power of the Spirit. And we ask God, would you bring healing? Would you bring healing to somebody's heart? Would you bring healing to somebody's body? Would you, God, bless us and heal us? But lest we all forget, what did Jesus say to one of His greatest servants ever, the Apostle Paul? who cried out to Jesus three times, it says. He asks, yes, he asked Jesus to heal him. He had a thorn in his side. Something that was hindering Paul from doing even a better job for God, for his Lord Jesus. And he cried out to Jesus, would you please remove this thorn in my side? Whatever it was. Jesus simply said, no. That my grace be sufficient. Let my grace be enough. We sang it this morning. His grace is enough. But you know what? It doesn't mean we should stop asking. Let us continue to come before God and ask for healing for ourselves and for others. See, that synagogue was there to help people. They weren't helping. Jesus comes in and He brings healing to get that point across. That entire priesthood was corrupt. From top to bottom, all of the leaders, they didn't care about the hungry, they didn't care about the needing, they didn't care about the foreigners, the sinners, the tax collectors. They only cared for themselves. 
I'm going to end our time with this. Here is a quote from Zechariah. We don't often see passages from Zechariah, and maybe it's been a long time since you've read it or even been in that book. But look what it says in Zechariah 7, 9 to 12. God, back in the day, also calling out religious leaders. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another, Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, the poor. Let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. See, but they refused to pay attention. They turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by His Spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, Great anger came from the Lord of hosts. This passage just sums up what was happening in this story. See, because the Pharisees had grown hardened in their hearts. They were oppressing the widows, the fatherless, the foreigners, the poor. God says and through Zechariah, let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. They were devising evil against Jesus in their heart. Zechariah says the people then refused to pay attention, the leaders did. And they turned a stubborn shoulder. They even stopped up their ears so they wouldn't hear. It is what Jesus was fighting against day in and day out. It even says those leaders back in the day made their hearts diamond hard. Lest they should even hear the law. You know what that means? That means to hear the spirit of the law. Let us never become like the Pharisees. That our heart would fall after God's heart. Jesus elsewhere calls the Pharisees blind guides, blind fools. This man with the withered hand, that hand was useless. He could not use it. And I think in a way, Jesus was giving an example. Because He called the man forward so all could see And he healed their hand. He was telling the religious leaders, he said, look, you are leading the people with a withered hand. Can a shepherd guide his sheep without the use of his hand and his staff? He was telling the leaders, you're leading my beautiful children astray. You're leading them down this road of of where they need not go. They're missing the heart of the law because you're not showing it to them. You are like shepherds with a withered hand. So he brings the guy forward. He does it in front of them all so they could see. A shepherd without the use of his arm cannot feed his sheep. Jesus is standing with that man. And he's showing them their heart condition. So let us never fall into to that mode of thinking, that way of life. That we would be willing, through worship, through His Word, to surrender ourselves to Him each and every day. Stretching out our hand, asking God for healing, but doing that for others as well. Stretching out our hand to help others. And when they do, let's put something precious in their hands. That's the hope that only Jesus can offer. Let's pray. Father, as we close our time together, we're, we're grateful. Lord, go before us now. Prepare the way through Your Spirit. 
God, would you show us those divine appointments and opportunities when you want us to stretch out that hand of hope to others? And God, as we stretch out our hands and our arms before you, asking you for mercy and for grace, may we extend that to others. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, for your heart of compassion. May we also share that same heart created in your image, God, that we would love those that you love, that we would be angered at the things that anger you. God, that we would be broken for the things and the people that are broken before you. God, give us the strength and the courage to be your people of hope in this hopeless world each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.